Ireland Talks podcast, Real Conversations. Hello and you're very welcome to Ireland Talks podcast. On the podcast today, I am joined by a singer-songwriter who was born in Ennis in County Clare and who began his professional career with Maura O'Connell in a duo called Tumbleweed. In 1980, he joined the brilliant Stockton's Wing. He wrote six songs for Stockton's Wing's critically acclaimed album, Light in the Western Sky, including songs such as Beautiful Affair and Walk Away. Mike Hanrahan, you are very welcome to Ireland Talks podcast. Nice to be here, Kevin. Tell me about uh, where it all started for you musically and how you became... Uh, or sorry, how you uh, formed Tumbleweed with Maura O'Connell and your, I suppose, your influences uh, back then. Uh, well, I came from a very musical family. There was eight of us and all eight of us played or danced or sang, did something. So we were very, there was music all around our house. Um, neither of my parents played any instruments, but they encouraged all of us to play. So yeah. the house was full of music when we were growing up and I had an older brother Jer, who kind of got into a rock band when he was in uh, early teens. And so he started listening to uh, rock music. Uh, Dad himself had bought a, quite an eclectic collection of records for us on our first album, on our first uh, record player, which was one of those um, old suitcase-like boxes. And um, he he had like things like um, Take Me Back to the Black Hills, and, and you could have Strauss in the middle of them, and you could have the Tully mm-hmm. Kelly band, or you might have Dean Martin or something, you know. So, and then we had, um, so that, that we, we kind of got into buying records and myself and my brother Gerard, um, we we were heavily influenced by whatever we were getting in from this amazing uh, uh, mail order service in Wales. Yeah. There was a shop on called Cobb Records and we used to post away to them for our albums. They'd send us catalogues every month and we'd look down and so we built up a really steady collection of records. So by the time I was like 15, I was kind of heavy into Leonard Cohen. And, you know, I, I was listening to bands like Yes and yeah. all that kind of the, the early genesis uh, when, when Peter Gabriel was there. That, were, they were, that was the music that was influenced me as a teenager. And then when I met Maura, I'd been doing a couple of gigs on my own and I was writing songs at, at that stage. I'd been writing for quite a few years mm. and... When I was about 17, 18, maybe I met Maura and um, we started singing a few songs together. And then we discovered people like Emily Harris and Graham Parsons uh, through a friend of ours, uh, PJ Curtis, who was a, a great record producer and a great collector of, of, of all sorts of blues and jazz. And he's got one of the most amazing collections of, of recorded music going back a couple of hundred years now. Um, at his house in in in, in Clare, yeah. Uh, so we were heavily influenced by that kind of stuff, and that kind of seeped right through our music. So we were doing, I guess, we were doing music way before our time, uh, or before its time, at, at back in the late seventies, and that kind of got us a lot of attention. We started doing the, the folk clubs. There was a really gorgeous uh, folk club circuit called Onfania mm. uh, around Ireland. All the all the towns. And little villages kind of teamed together and organised uh, acts to kind of tour around. So you weren't, there was no great travel involved from gig to gig. Yeah. And there was a spectacular uh, uh, folk club in, in Clare, in Crusheen, a village outside Ennis, uh, run by Joe Galligan, the highway in. It was like we got to see everybody there. Uh, um, 
like Henry McCullough played there, you know. Yeah. Bands like Hobo Junction and uh, a, a very young Barry Moore. Uh, we got to see all those, and in fact, myself and Maura got to play support there. So that was our, that was the beginning for us. And and we we, we ended up playing support to Loudon Wainwright on a few occasions. He mm. kind of took a shine to us, and he anytime he played Galway, he he he'd give us a shout and say, "Please come up and sing a few songs." And yeah, he used to call us the he, <laughs> he used to call us the Shannon shit kickers. <laughs> <laughs> And he'd always, Loudon was a great man for, for um, ad-libbing his songs. He'd make up songs as he, as he went along. And um, his his outro was always uh, including the Shannon Shitkickers for, for singing the songs. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I, that, that was our start. So we, we really were, we had a great, we had a great start, Kevin, myself mm-hmm. and Maura, really had a fantastic and and then, Mike, your your I suppose your transition into the more traditional side of it with Stockton's Wing, um, tell me maybe about that time. I know, uh, Doolan was a big impact on you. Is that right? Yeah, I I kind of I I was talking to Mary Coughlin recently, and she said that when she left school, she ran away to Limerick. Yeah, and I said I said Jesus, I had far more exciting. I said I ran away to Doolan, <laughs> and we had a good laugh about it. But um, yeah. Yeah, I, I went to Doolan after, immediately after I left school and I went up with my brother Kieran and Paul Roach, my first cousin, he plays uh, flute and a founding member of Stockton's Wing. And we played McGann's Pub, which had just opened. Yeah. And that was a whole new world for me because I was introduced to people from all over the world, literally, and uh, music and influences. And it was like, I always described Doolan in the late 70s as like... Um, there was a place in the the sixties in in San Francisco called Haight Ashbury where all the hippies yeah. hung out, uh, and I've been there, seen it. But I always said that Doolan was like Haight Ashbury in a field. Yeah, and that's that's how how because it was a kind of a it was like a very hippie kind of vibe of a life. Yeah. Doolan hadn't yet become the big uh, um, commercial centre that it became. Yeah. Um, there was a, a great, there was a nice quaint vibe off the place and the neighbours and, I mean, there still is. I still love going down to Doolan, but it was a different time. Yeah. And um, that influenced my music as well. So by the time I joined Stockton's Wing, they'd actually originally asked myself and Maura to join, but Maura actually insisted that she was going to stay at home and help her mum in the fish business that they had in town. Okay. And she had no interest in joining a band and she had no interest in joining a traditional Irish band, as she said, and six months later she joined the Dan. She saw I was having so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, when I joined Stockton's being like you said, there I, I kind of traditional. I I never sang traditional songs. I never sang ballads. Mm. So the deal for me to join Stockton's Wing for me was I I had to sing my own songs and I'd do a few covers if they were there. Okay. But I kind of. They made it clear that they wanted me for my songs as well, because yeah. they knew myself and Maura that we'd, we'd been around, hanging around with the band f- for a long time. So they gave me the platform, and um, that was my encouragement to write more, and I did. And, and so I'm eternally grateful to the lads for that. They were, they themselves were stretching the bon- boundaries of music, mm. uh, unbelievably, when you think about it, for the late 70s. Yeah. Um, they were way ahead of their time, what they were doing. They were just... They were delivering the music with a completely different attitude. Yeah. Uh, 
the, the dexterity of their playing was like without question. They were all all Ireland champions, mm. but here they all came together from a kind of a cultus background, which was really it was so important for them because it, it taught them so much about their music, and then they just they kind of opened up all these petals to the music, and my God. Yeah. What they were doing, it was breathtaking at times when you'd hear them play yeah. at sessions. So I was, I was delighted to be part of that because I was a big fan of the band. I I, I went to so many of their gigs. Mm. I ended up being rodeo a lot of their gigs. So for me to get on stage and sing with them was, I still remember that amazing feeling of the first gig and the pinching, you know. And, and, I got and Mike, where was that? Do you remember? Oh God, I do. It was, it was in the, <laughs> it was a great folk club in in Clamell in Hearns Hotel and was run by a wonderful man who still runs gigs down there, Ken Horn. We've remained friends ever since. Yeah. And he was running folk clubs. I did a gig there with Maura, uh, with Tumbleweed when we did the circuit. But that was my first gig in, in Clonmel, uh, uh, April, the, I think it was the, April the 4th or 5th. Yeah. And the following night, uh, I was in the Savoy Theatre in Cork, which is unfortunately gone now, playing support to Ralph McTell. So, like that, well, those first two gigs I'll never forget because geez, they were that's, amazing. That's incredible. And mm. uh, you you wrote a book uh, last year, 2019, Beautiful Affair, where you write about obviously your big love, food uh, and music and, and friendship. I'm interested, obviously, to know about your time in, in Ballymaloo and, and how that all came about. Uh, and of course, your inspiration, uh, Myrtle Allen. Yeah, Merkel was amazing. Um, I, the reason I went to Ballymaloo was I was actually doing a gig there with Alan O'Shanley and we we did a gig in the house. But myself and Ronnie Drew had been there quite a lot. I spent 10 years huh. touring with Ronnie, of course, and then Eleanor was with us. So uh, we got news that Ronnie was really ill uh, in about 2006. And his wife, Deirdre, said to me, you know, Mike, maybe you should really start thinking about your next stage because, uh, you know, this is not going to be good and we don't think there's a future here. And so I said, I went home and thought about it and we, and we went down to Ballymaloo to do that gig. And Rory Allen, who's a great old pal of mine, he's, he he runs the Ballymaloo house and yeah. uh, he plays music and sings songs and he's just a good old pal. And... Uh, uh, he said to me, go over and have a look at the school and see what if you like it, you should come down and try it if you're looking for something to do. And and, yeah. and that's what I did. And it was it was the best advice I got because I left the music industry after 30 years and mm. uh, I had like 12 of those years was on the board of Imro, which was at the end was a nightmare because it was just it was just pressure, 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 pressure all the time. Yeah. And then, then with Ronnie's um, death, or impending death. It was like, no. I it was a really sad time. So I went down there and I ended up in Ballymaloo Cookery School, a complete stranger. Yeah. It was an amazing thing to do in life is to just jump off the train and go into a different village. No one knows anything about you. Yeah. You have no past. You have you have nothing. You've no baggage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was quite most amazing experience and it was life-changing for me because it allowed me to get off the the, the, the turntable get off the rat race yeah particularly the rat race that was Imro for me because that was a, such a horrific end to that time you found that and, took a lot out of you mike oh god yeah. yeah yeah i mean you're 
I, I feel for the current chair in in Imro, yeah. in these times, uh, Eleanor uh, McAvoy, because it really is a stressful gig because everybody is you're the target for everything and everybody looks to you for to be doing things. You're trying to keep everyone happy, basically. Yeah. You actually get tired and emotionally drawn trying to keep everybody happy, including loads of egos. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it kind of got to me for a finish. And, um, but the Ballymaloo saved my bacon. It, I met some incredibly gorgeous, wonderful friends there that have, have been friends ever since. And I discovered food mm. and when I was when I was uh, doing the course, I fell in love with the whole art of making cheese, and I started making a lot of cheese down there. And um, I'd since discovered that my grandmother actually majored in in an agricultural college doing cheese back in the thirties. So it was in the um, genes. Yeah, so I never knew that at all. So that was really that was cool to hear that. Yeah. For my exam, I made my own ghost cheese starter dish um, with roasted pepper. And it was quite quite lovely. And Myrtle Allen was my my she was my tester. She was my okay. she was my examiner. Yeah. And she tasted the cheese, and she came to me and said that was really beautiful. And the fact that I had got out of my way to make my own cheese, coarse cheese, I think we were started for life then the two of us. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately for Myrtle, I, I played a lot in in the in the house as well, and she came to all the gigs and. Indeed, when I was I ran a kitchen and for Pat Short in the nearby uh, Castle Martin village, she was often there for dinner, yeah. and she loved it. And but she never referred to me as as a cook, you know. Or it was always, oh, there's the lovely musician. <laughs> she, she, she wouldn't even call me by my name. I was always to her. I was, oh, there's the lovely musician. Oh, you're the lovely musician. How are you? <laughs> and we'd sit and talk, even right to the end when I, I was researching. Um, recipes for a festival weekend we had in Pat Shorts and I wanted to do a, a retro uh, a food thing for the pub and go back to see what the, the people in the big houses ate and, and the, the peasantry of the village ate during uh, like a hundred years previously. Yeah. And I, I Rory organised Myrtle and she was, she was quite feeble at that stage and I went over to her house to her and she was sitting in, in the in the um, outside the house under the shade, and she had a newspaper in her lap, and she was topping and tailing gooseberries for the kitchen. Yeah. I mean, she was still working. She was still there, still still yeah. working, and and she went in every day to taste the soup, and and right up to the very end, and she was just a gorgeous woman who had a great philosophy of food, and that philosophy has gone through generations, and yeah. um, she certainly. Uh, impressed Dorina when Dorina was down there as a young chef because she worked there as, as a as a chef yeah. um, and moved on and then opened the school and and now uh, Rachel wonderful Rachel Allen she went down there as a student and like she's taken on the mantle as well yeah. um, uh, Dorina's brother uh, Rory O'Connor has made an amazing career of it as well Absolutely. as a wonderful teacher yeah. so. When you were down there, I spent four years in East Cork uh, at one stage and I spent a full year teaching in school. So I was surrounded by that um, that philosophy, that food philosophy. So it's 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 inbred in me at this stage. And it's it's I feel very strongly about my food and the the provenance, where it comes from, who who gives it to me and yeah. who makes it, who grows it, you know. I, I am fascinated by that. And that was one thing I, I felt it gave me a chance in the book 
to develop that and develop the history of my life in, mm. in food and music. And it's interesting that probably every musician that I really got on with and played with and enjoyed their company, we were connected by food and music. Mm. You know, Ronnie, we loved, Ronnie must have traveled for 10 years, mostly on our own, uh, when, if Eleanor wasn't around doing yeah. the tours. And, and we'd sit in the car in the morning, we'd have we'd have a breakfast before we go from a town, yeah. we'd stop for a bit of lunch, and then we'd have dinner, and food was really important to us. So, And Ronnie himself was an incredibly talented Spanish cook. He loved his Spanish food and sp- spoke Spanish fluently as well. So He did, yeah. He 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 loved his food. So our our conversations, I remember <laughs> when when I started working with him, he says I've got three rules. He said from my um from my my <clears throat> rider. He says for the gig. He says I want a reasonably nice hotel and nothing too posh. Just a nice hotel that's clean. Yeah. I want really really good food. He says not posh, just really good food and a good restaurant. And I don't want any Ryanair. <laughs> <laughs> there were his three. Like Rodney it. loved the old hospitality. He 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 really lamented the the passing of the the hospitality uh, sector as he knew it. Like yeah. he he loved he loved stopping off in these wonderful quaint tea rooms around Ireland and going in for a cup of tea and a, and a sandwich. You know, and yeah. It, it, that was his treat for the day, and, I, and we we went. I, I he'd he'd drive ten miles off the main road because he knew there was a there was a little tea room in there. Yeah. Was a lovely lady who was so there. He was so food. I, I know I'm going on a bit about it, but food is is really important to me. Yeah, and and uh, you were with Ronnie from 1997 to 2007. In 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 all. Them ten years, and as you said, there you you worked very closely with him. You were with him morning, afternoon, evening, the gig, the next day, etc. Did in those times, did you ever find uh, Ronnie reflecting? Um, no, uh, Ronnie, I never, no, I never saw, no one ever asked me that question before, and. Uh, Ronnie wasn't a kind of for reflecting. Ronnie was very forward thinking. He was and very much on the moment and the present. Um, you never heard him going back over over uh, his years of Dubliners. Yeah. He told you he, he was great man for stories and for yeah. for yarns. Yeah, but no, he never. I wouldn't use the word reflection at all. I think he was very in the moment. And when I was with him, he he hadn't been drinking at all. So yeah, he, I. I I always say I had him at the peak of his creativity. He was, mm. we he had written this show called Ronnie, I Hardly Knew You. And he was bringing in stories about the times he met with Paddy Kavanagh, but then he'd recite Paddy's poetry and yeah. very funny anecdotes. And uh, Brendan Behan and uh, Shauna Casey, he did a little bit of a bit of James Joyce, or as he used to say, accessible Joyce. <laughs> and... Uh, what was he used to say? Here's the ground that uh, someone was thinking, for God's sake, at the very mention of Joyce, please don't go for your revolvers or something <laughs> like that. Like, so he, he 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 was at the top of his game and every day was about the gig. He At breakfast in the morning, even years after doing the gig, we could have done it. We could have a run of, we did an eight-week run in, at one stage in Dublin. Even after eight weeks, he'd, he'd get up at breakfast in the morning and say, Jesus, Mike, I think we should 
look at this, this bit and that bit. So yeah. he taught me an awful lot about, about performance and stage. And I, I said in the book that he he taught me how to appreciate the, the, the applause. And most importantly, he taught me how to to, to leave it there in, in the theatre, in that space. Yeah. Take, take the applause and enjoy it and then, and then just leave it mm. because tomorrow will be another day and he's he set such high demands on himself as a performer that anybody who really was anyway interested in, in working with him you had to step up to that level yeah. because he was a consummate professional and he was a gentleman like he he never forced anything out of you because he he was a giver he, he was he was a generous man in everything, in his time and his love and, and his passion for everything he did. So he we were just we became really close friends. And as a result, I, <laughs> I used to say to him that uh, he made me a great guitar player. And he'd, he'd have a good laugh at that because <laughs> he, he never had much um, belief in his own playing. Although he had he had a good, he had the rudiments of, of flamenco playing. You know, yeah. and, when, and sometimes in dressing rooms, he'd start doing the flamenco style practice and he was he was outstanding right and i'd say if he if he kept at it he would have been brilliant but when i used to say to him no you made me a great guitar player he used to get a great love that he spent a lot of time in spain didn't he yeah he went over in the late 50s after um, a few failed attempts of work in 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 dublin and um he went over a couple of guys and they started teaching english in Spain and uh, Franco was still there it wasn't long after the war at all and um, so it was a, it was a strange time I think that the Spain really hit him it it, 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 it got into him got yeah. into and and he learned he he spoke fluent the language he had was fluent and often when we were in Spain and you'd be sitting at a coffee shop and, and Ronnie be over talking to the locals and they'd never even wreck him as in a, being a, a, a Dubliner yeah, from Dublin or from Ireland. Im- I can imagine that. Many of the time, he'd, 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 he'd eventually tell them where he's from and they'd be looking at him twice. And Yeah. So, and he loved conversation. He loved people. He loved he loved musicians. He loved the, the crew. He loved, just often he'd go to gigs, he'd go to the gigs with, with, with the crew, you know, with the, with the and uh, often go home from gigs with the crew as well. So, yeah, he was an inclusive man and very much to the present, Kevin. And and um, he, he, it, he, yeah. it seems he had a big impact on on your life, uh, Mike. Huge, yeah, huge. And I couldn't measure it, but I don't need to measure it. And because um, I have it with me, and and yeah. he stays with me every day. He stays with me, and I have I I can I can laugh at his memory because I, I the amount of times I think of funny situations that we were in and yeah and and funny enough you know i he he was he was a great man for the horses he loved he loved um horse riding as a young guy and he loved the, the, watching the races and he'd gamble a bit on the races yeah. Not, he, wasn't, he wasn't a big gambler no but he hated every other sport he hated football he hated golf and geez he'd be got on about it then i'd be i'd be playing golf on the road i'd have the clubs with me yeah and then uh, he said he'd try it one day. We kind of urged him to get out. And so after loads of cokes, and he, he eventually came out one day and we had a few pucks of the ball and he fell in love with it. And for his final years, Ronnie Drew was 
playing golf about three or four times a week uh, before he got sick. And he'd go up the mountains into a little uh, golf club called Joust. Yeah. And he'd play there and he loved <laughs> But I remember he saying to me that, um, I'm just thinking about the funny things he used to say, but he said that if he if he ever had won the lotto, he'd, he'd build his own golf course uh, with no rough, no water, <laughs> no no sand traps. He said nothing at all. Straight, <laughs> just straightforward. <laughs> straightforward. <laughs> and and I, I wrote in the book about this because it was really, it struck me that that was so much about Ronnie. You know, he didn't want any obstacles yeah. in his way in yeah. life. He, he was a straight shooter all the way and he just wanted to go straight down and be be straight up but everything so yeah he 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 was he was one of my closest friends uh, and uh, i'm i'm very lucky and delighted to have known him and yeah. and i think i was i was equally as good a friend to him he was yeah we were good to each other i have often said in interviews that ronnie was was uh either of the three he was my dad he was my brother and he was my son and that was vice yeah, versa. That's incredible. And that's a nice thing to say about yeah. any friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, there's a great story. I don't know if you ever heard it, uh, where he, he was off the drink, but he'd kind of, he'd wavered off the path a bit and he, he went into O'Donoghue's of a morning and there was a, there was a, he was having a gin, you know, and a, yeah. a fella says to him, uh, Jesus, Ronnie, I heard you were off the drink. And he says, oh, well, I have an odd one every now and then. It helps me mind my own business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. There's a lot of those stories. Uh, he was funny. He was great. Yeah. He was good. I remember in the, I'd say it was about 2005 or something, we were driving down in Roscommon. I think we were in Roscommon. But we were driving into a town and there was a traffic jam. And we looked down the road and we saw the, one guy with the, with the sign saying stop and then we looked further down about 100 yards down and the other guy he had his crowd saying stop as well there was there was no one moving <laughs> at all and he just turns says jesus he says mike i think the celtic tiger is getting mange <laughs> <laughs> and he was spot on, he was spot on. <laughs> and he wasn't shy about, about coming forward about the no. politics and things that he, he that was his, and he was, he was fairly boisterous sometimes when he went to the about, about issues and, uh, but I, I, yeah, he was amazing. Overall, a fantastic man. Uh, the the whole lockdown thing with COVID, Mike. How did you uh, cope with that? And and uh, you know, was it a good or a bad thing for you? Oh well, there's nothing. I. It wasn't bad, it, and it's, it wasn't great. Like it's not great. I really missed the gigs. Gigs. And I missed yeah. that connection, mm. and uh, I missed the connection of, of other musicians, and I miss, I miss the audience, and and particularly this year because I had so much work planned because my book was out. I had a full book tour. Stockton's Wing had a number one album in January. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying this for sympathy or anything because that's just so many of us were in, in we're in the same boat. We had, but I had a lot of work in this year, uh, particularly with Eleanor. Uh, Shanley and also with, with Leslie Dowdle and so that all went and but on, on a personal level it's been in probably the most creative time of, of my life yeah um, I have a whole bunch of songs written like so many songs so I have I have plans now and 
I, I started teaching myself how to use Pro Tools, the, the digital technology for recording, and that's something I never knew about. I I started taking courses online about um, uh, uh, recording, like um, EQs and MIDIs and stuff I knew nothing about. Yeah. And I've been using MIDI, which if I if if you told me I'd be doing that, I'd be looking at you. <laughs> four eyes yeah and jays will they give me a break <laughs> and then i i started working with i do this thing on the war of independence which is a passion of mine i've been researching songs and songwriters from a hundred years ago mm. for a number number of years now and i, I started with 1916 with, with brendan begley with a great show called dublin burning so i carried on and i focused my my work strictly on county clare and the songs of the war mm. and the leading up to war. And I have been doing that every year and going down to their libraries and, and talking, uh, giving talks and singing songs at, at several libraries around the county uh, with the help of the Clare County Council and the, the county libraries who have been amazing, the Clare libraries. And there's a huge collection of old songs available up online at the library, which is an immense like well of, of uh, songs and and stories and um really interesting stuff to watch and, and to read so this year they asked me to, to do it but could i do a, a video okay. and i've been doing these kind of uh videos when i'm during COVID, and you do them on into your phone yeah so i thought this would be a nice idea now to get the, get the the last few years down on on video so I, I decided I'm going to make my own video. Okay. So I, something I've never done. So I downloaded a video pa making package, uh, video for dummies, I'd say it is, because it would have to be for me. And as I keep saying, it's gobshite friendly, so that <laughs> that will sort me out. And it is, and I'm having fun putting the story of 20, 1920 on video. And that's another thing that's, lockdown has given me so in a very long-winded way of answering your question lockdown has been really good for me creatively really yeah. really good yeah um i think it's been good for a lot of people creatively and i think it's been good for people generally to just stop and think about what's the important things in life yeah absolutely yeah the important people around you so and I certainly have had a lot of time to my, myself and myself and my wife, Donna, have done quite a lot uh, around the house. We've gone to visit things. We've been out on the bikes and exercising yeah. ourselves. And so all the things that we wouldn't have done before, I suppose, in a way, we, we all got to do them this time around. Yeah. And it still doesn't... I, I always feel when I'm talking to friends of this, I think... You know, that's grand. You just you're just putting it off. The fact is that I really miss a gig. Yeah. So, but the gigs are beginning to come in. Um, Eleanor Shanley and myself have a couple of gigs. I want to do a gig with Leslie Dowdle, who was who was in a really really horrific car accident during during COVID. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, she and she's she's cool. She's she's getting there, but she did a lot of lot of damage to herself. And well, she didn't do it, but. The person who drove into her did it, and um, but she's in recovery and she's doing great. But her voice is is gorgeous. So she said to me only a few days ago, "Look at, 
maybe I, I might be ready to, to sing a few songs again. So I'm I'm thrilled with that. So oh, we'll organise that. And um, so there's always things to look forward to, you know. And I take the Ronnie Drew school of Morton really is that um, living the present. I and mean, while these songs are, are coming to me, I'm going to just keep firing them out. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be ready. <laughs> I'd be ready. I'd be like a young fellow who, who's been playing on on the C team for the the, <laughs> the Harlan team in the village, and he can't get his game. And then suddenly on the county final, all the rest of them are sick, and the yeah. man says, "It's your turn." So yeah. I'm, I have the hardly ready, ready, ready to rock and roll. Absolutely ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Well, please God, everything you know in the near future gets gets back to uh, some type of normality. Uh, but it is, it's a, it's a, I think it's a check on life for a lot of people and, and a bit of a grounding because I suppose like anything, we were all in that, you know, fast lane for want of a better way of explaining it. But uh, certainly um, for, for a lot of people, they've, they've come back down to earth. Yeah. And it's been tough for people. It's it's tough uh, for a lot of musicians and a lot of people in, in our business yeah. crews who have, who have mortgages to pay, they've yeah. kids, they've got families, you know, to, to kind of run and and it's really tough for them. Mm. And in a way it's great because we have we now have a few organizations speaking on our behalf. There's a music entertainment association of Ireland there was just out of this group, this organization of of people involved in the business, not just musicians, you know, because it's not just musicians who are yeah. who are who are it's everybody, as I say, it's everybody involved in creating a stage yeah. no matter who you are yeah. we're all like the person setting the tickets yeah you know, absolutely haven't got a, they haven't got a gig anymore yeah. and but the crew are really important because they're i always just said whoever doing sound for us was always the extra man in the band yeah you know and so important so this organization i think have been really proactive on behalf of all of us mm-hmm. and um, they've got their voice in the corridors of power, which is really great. Yeah, and that's something we never had before. We never had, we yeah. never had unity yeah. in in, our, in 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 our sector in our business, and that was a gaping hole. Yeah, in the early days. But these guys are doing a great job. As are another company crowd called Epic, who are doing fantastic work. And I I think Imro have stepped up to the market. They're doing a lot of good work now, and so. Yeah, I think it's that's another positive out of all this. That maybe when it's all over, with we'll, that we'll be more prepared as as an industry to work and into the future together. You know, yeah, rather more, than more unity. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's a very fractured industry, and that's the, that was a big reality, mm. like, shockingly fractured to me. You know, you you did some online gigs with uh, Eleanor Shanley. How did how did they go, and and how was the feedback on them? It was wonderful. Uh, it was great. Uh, two guys, Richard, uh, me, and Lara. The, the, Richard and Lara run the, the Seaview sessions in uh, Booterstown. It's a lovely club yeah. in Booterstown. And myself and Eleanor have played there, as myself and Leslie as well. And they invite us to this online gig. So we're doing it, and we're doing we're only doing one every couple of months. And we're, we're having a lot of fun with it and with the next one is for Halloween so we're going to plan a kind of a special treat for Halloween and then we'll do one for Christmas I think. Brilliant. And that's kind of nice, it's lovely and it's nice to be 
in the same room with Eleanor and singing. You know, it's just because I, I just love her voice, and yeah, we we have we have a good old duet going. That's really nice. I've got another gig coming up with food, a, a book gig, which is really interesting, hmm. in a socially distanced gig down in, in Mam Cross at the end of. And Galway. Uh, yeah, in Galway in a few in a few weeks' time, and that's going to be gorgeous because uh, I get to talk about food and uh, share my book with people and sing songs, which is what I was doing before lockdown. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. They're redoing a, a railway or a, they're bringing a railway back to life down there. I think it's the Western Railway. I was down there a few weeks ago. Lovely part of the world. Oh, it's stunning. I didn't know that. I'd look out for that when I'm down there. Yeah. I love it down there at Mam Crossing. And further off, a beautiful village called Clonbar. Yeah. Where we've played gigs there as well, myself and Eleanor, in a lovely church. And and I just like that part of the world. I, I think it's um, myself and my wife, Donna, spent a few days uh, down in, in Ballykeneely this year. And that was stunning down there as well. Lovely. It's a part of the world. Beautiful part of the world, without a, mm. without a shadow of a doubt. And future plans, Mike, Are you have you any plans for an album or anything like that? Well, I have to. I mean, I haven't recorded an album of my songs since 2002. So, okay. But then I went off cooking, so I didn't write any songs. And having not written a song for maybe 12 years, I suddenly have an album full of songs after six months. Yeah. And, um, and I'm very pleased with them. I've worked very hard on them. I spend a lot of time with them. I've demoed them here at home. So I really want to get into a studio, but it's just... It's a it's a matter of getting the the, the I I suppose getting somebody to, to, to get me into the studio like yeah. a record company and things like that. So I'd have to work on that and see. I know that the the government have put out a call for funds for recording mm. stimulus, which is very welcome. So we'll see if that comes through. But me my 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 history with grants in the music industry is 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 pretty shabby, really. I think I must be writing the wrong language or something, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. And um, I would hope to go down to Gavin Glass in Wexford, who is he opened a new studio, and work with him on the album and have some of my friends in. I'm definitely, and there's a song I've written for my mum, uh, who lives with dementia. Okay. And I wanted to kind of write a song for her. I, I don't pray. I don't. I don't have any religion. So it was kind of my, for want of a better word, my prayer to her to wish her the best. And yeah. on this, her the kind of final stage of her, her journey. Yeah. And I sent it to my friends in the Forget Me Nots Choir uh, in Dublin, and they loved it. And then I did a, a gig for the Forget Me Nots uh, on the 11th of July in online. And all the, the the singers from the choir were there, and they and they fell in love with the song. So we're going to record that song um, in the next couple of months. That's and wonderful. That it's going to be great. And my friend Lisa Lamb, the the actress and singer, has agreed. She loves the song, so she's going to because she's heavily involved in Forget Me Nots, and that should be really great. So there's a lot there's a lot going on. Um, there's a young a singer songwriter who I adore called Sive. She's in in um, Kildare, and we are both writing a song uh, online together. And brilliant! That's very exciting. So 
there's a lot in the pipeline and I feel very energized. I feel very positive. Uh, I feel very optimistic and I haven't felt like that for a long time. Well, you know, so that's good. So, it's a good good way to feel. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. Mike, um, thank you very much for joining us here on the Ireland Talks podcast. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um and hopefully down the line when when you know you get back to the gigs and, and maybe you get to make that album, we'll have a chat again. I'd love that and thank you very much and you ask really gorgeous questions so I really appreciate it. Thank you very much Mike. For more on Mike Hanrahan check out MikeHanrahan.com and Beautiful Affair the book is available in all good bookshops and online. Find Ireland Talks podcast on iTunes Spotify or wherever you find your podcast. Ireland Talks podcast Real Conversations.